Let, let's begin. We're in Titus chapter 1. Um, reminder of why we're in Titus. We did the Gospel of John. We did it for a year and a half. I don't know if I told you all this last week. I was talking to a pastor who uh, I really respect, and, and we were kind of just checking on each other's churches. And told him we did John, and it took us a year and a half. And he's like, man, now I feel bad. I was like, why? He goes, I'm doing John, but I'm doing it in 12 weeks. I'm like, that's like skipping a stone across the surface of a lake. Like, that's not really doing anything. And anyway, so we joked about it for a while. But um, but then we, we moved from John. We wanted that gospel. We wanted to understand more of God's story, Jesus' story, not our own. Our story only makes sense in light of who he is. But Titus is a book written to, it's written by Paul. It's written to Titus, who is uh, a pastor, and he's been sent to Crete. Um, look at verse 5. Paul said, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders. And then Titus is being walked through what it means to, to be a church and what God wants his church to look like. As a church plant, uh, I know we've been, you know, we're a couple years old, but the truth is that's actually pretty young for a church, right? Think about a, a two year old kid. A two year old kid doesn't do what a 20 year old kid does. There, there's different phases, different skills, different developments. And so we're a two-year-old church, or, or I guess maybe slightly over two years old. But I think it's even more fitting right now to take a look at what God wants His church to look like, not what we want our church to look like. Because there are plenty of books, and I've got some in there on my shelf, that will tell you what a church should look like and how you should grow a church and how you should manage a church and what the church should do, should not do. Tons of people writing about what the church should be when really I think we should go to Titus. I think we should go to First and Second Timothy. I think we should look at Acts and the, the early church and just understand that this is what God wants His church to look like. And it's going to be different. And I think that that's okay. Um, I think that it's okay for Cross Life Fort Smith to look different than, just going down the road here, it's okay for Cross Life Fort Smith to look different than the community and New Life and East Side and First, uh, First Baptist, and Chaffee Crossing over here. I think that's okay. I think that God designs and desires for His churches to reach different people in different ways, as long as it's always for His glory. What I fear, though, is that oftentimes, what we make our churches to look like doesn't quite match up in DNA and culture as to what God meant for His churches to look like. I think of Acts 2, which we put on the back of our shirts, how, they, how the early believers devote themselves to just four things. They loved fellowship. They loved breaking bread to, and observing the ordinances. They loved God's teaching and they loved God. Like they loved being together because they loved God. And as they did that, they wanted to fellowship with one another. They were breaking bread literally and observing the, the ordinances. So there's just this really simple, fundamental aspect of the church that I love. And so Titus gives us an idea, though, that, hey, there's, there's a little bit more now. And so that's what we're looking at. We're moving through Titus. Last week we looked at the, the qualifications of elders, which are basically the church leaders. So what are church leaders supposed to be like? What's their character? What are their qualifications? That's all lined out in 5 through 9. And, uh, and we walked through those. Now we're going to pick up. We're actually going to overlap. We're going to read 9 again and go to 16. And it starts talking about false teachers, but I'm actually calling this one Biblical Eldership Part 2 because... The false teachers really illustrate what the true teachers are supposed to be like. Why do you need this? Because what if I'm not here? 
right? What if I'm not here? Or what if as we grow as a church, we start looking at, oh, well, we need more leadership. Well, we need to make sure that we're doing this the right way. And then the other thing that we need is not just for who's your, your main teacher, who are the other leaders, but also we need to be careful who we're listening to. Because just because someone says that they're a Christian and professes the name doesn't mean that they're actually preaching a gospel. So, here's what Titus 9 tells us. Okay, He, the pastor, the elder, the episcopos, the bishop, the pastor, whatever we call him, the church leader, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Why? So that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And we talked about that last week. Look at the very next part, though. For, or because, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting the whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. We need to get verse 16 on a coffee mug. Like, that's a good one, right? That's a banner. Lord, your word's before us, and already I've become tongue-tied. And, uh, and I think that that's okay. But Lord, what I pray is that there's clarity in your word, and, and that we have conviction to know you more, and to understand what you want your church to look like. Lord, so that we can be ready to profess it and, and build your church alongside you moving as the body with one purpose and one allegiance to you. Lord, we love you. Amen. All right. So last week, told you we walked through the, 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 really the who the elder is. And that was a pretty long sermon, actually, if you go back and look at it. And I was talking to Andy earlier this week, and I made a comment. He goes, yeah, especially because I just talked about how I want to make sure I'm doing things right. I want to be accountable and 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 be wise in this decision and and he's like yeah especially after your sermon earlier because if you read the qualifications of the elder that is a high and holy calling i mean that's a those are some pretty high standards but they're achievable right because our god is gracious gracious and merciful but it does lay out what god's leader is supposed to look like and I'm always going to love preaching that is what I realized at the end of it. Like I got done and it wasn't one of those, man, I did a great job on that sermon. It was really, man, we need to preach that over and over again. I've been through seminary classes and we don't, we haven't hammered those verses over and over. Instead, what we focus on is the knowledge that somebody has in seminaries, what it tends to come down to. How deep is their knowledge? How wise are they? How good of a speaker are they? Do you understand how to manage a budget and a and a staff? And and we and those aren't bad. Do you know Greek and Hebrew? But but none of the qualifications of an elder come down to that. And as I was kind of debriefing, I was really just kind of humbled again by the criteria, but at the same time, really convicted. And I'm never going to grow tired of preaching about what a church leader should be, not because I've got it figured out, but because it's so challenging. 
and I think that we do. Um, and this might be critical of me, but it's just my conviction. We have a lot of men at the helms of churches who know how to grow a church. They know how to speak well. They know how to organize this this organization and get people motivated and moving. And then whenever they step in the pulpit, they're philosophers, storytellers, and passing on knowledge, but not necessarily preaching the Word. They use the Word kind of as a sprinkling like you would salt or pepper, just something to season the talk a little bit more, make it a little bit more palpable, let there be a little bit of truth. And for me, as I read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, as I look at how God used the apostles, the Word was always central and everything else worked out from there. And so, I believe in our time as as I read these articles of Christian leaders falling and compromising who they are, it's good to, to return to, yes, these are, these are real people. These pastors are real people. These leaders are. But it's not enough for them to be real. It's a, they've got to be godly. And we need that godly standard. And so that was last week, and, and I loved it. I don't know if you did. doesn't matter. It was preached anyway, so we got to go on. But I want us to always hold on. Whatever pastor you sit under, always hold on to John 17, 17. Jesus prayed, and you probably remember this, but it's really short. You can listen to it. Sanctify them in truth, Jesus prayed. Your word is truth. That was Jesus' prayer for his disciples. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Now, what does it mean to sanctify? It means to wash them, make them pure, make them holy. He says, so, so make them holy. Who's them? His disciples. So make your disciples holy in truth. And what is truth? His word. So Jesus prays that as the word goes out, that it will make his disciples holy and pure and stronger for his work. And so therefore, whether I preach or Andy preaches, whoever it is that preaches here, the word's always got to be central. You don't need my wisdom, my philosophy, my insight, my jokes. I don't have good ones anyway. What you need is the word. Because everything that I tell you, every bit of knowledge and wisdom that I can give you is good in the moment, but it will not teach you to abide for the next 80 years. What will teach you to abide is whenever God's Word is planted within you because it will take root and it will grow. But the way that, that we do church, uh, and I don't, I don't even mean in this, con- the way that we do church with expository preaching or expositional preaching is not a norm in many churches. And I would say that this is my conviction. This is what I will always hold to. It's why all of our elders or whoever it is that teaches will hold to this type of preaching. It's the only one that buries the words in our hearts so that we can understand it and live differently. So, what do we do with today? Verse 9, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he, the elder, the pastor, may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it and then the little word, for. It's just kind of thrown in there, right? Because if we're not careful, it's like, here's the elder, and now it's going to talk about the Cretans. But there's actually a bridge, and it's all hinging on that one word, for. So, first thing I want us to look at is, really, what is the purpose of the elder in Titus? He wrote about elders first. Why? And it all goes back to that little three-letter word, for. Why in the world does the elder need to be this way? Because of this, church. For there are many who are insubordinate, anti-talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. they got to be silenced since they, were, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to preach. And then he goes on. 
So what's the purpose of the elder? Notice what he's not supposed to do. Right? There's false teachers. There's people who are teaching something contrary to what he's teaching and, and to the gospel. What's the elder not supposed to do? He's not supposed to make them comfortable. Not supposed to listen for understanding. Not supposed to invite them to coffee so that we can have a compromise here. No. He's got a couple of things he's supposed to do. Silence them and rebuke them. That's not comfortable at all. So it would be like if Mark were teaching and we're and I'm listening, there is this comfortable temptation in us. I get it totally. Where I'm sitting there going, hmm, that's not the gospel at all. Like that's not that's totally contrary to the mercy and grace of God. Um, your, their church attendance doesn't determine if they're a Christian. Like, and, and that's one of the ways that we might preach a false doctrine here, right? It's, and, and I'm going to make that connection up here in a second. Like, we're not supposed to sit back. The leaders of the church are not supposed to sit back and just kind of condone that and be comfortable in it. But he's got a couple of things he's supposed to do. Appoint elders and then silence them and rebuke them. Put healthy leaders in place so you can push out the bad leaders and the healthy leaders are remaining in place. So, that's, that's his job. Titus is supposed to put things in order. Appoint the elders and then put things in order. How do you put things in order? Things are out of place. You put them where they go. So this morning, um, whenever we were getting ready for church, I'm walking through and I'm like a drill sergeant and a gracious one. But I'm like, Kenley, you need to put up your stuff. Gavin, is that yours? I need you to put it where it goes. Jackson, put it where it goes. Why? We're putting in order what needs to be in order so that things are in place. That's what Titus is supposed to do. That includes looking at those who do not teach a right doctrine and removing them. Now, I want to be very careful real quick, because if you're sitting there and you're like, oh, crud, is, is this talking about me? Am I insubordinate? Am I an empty talker? Am I a deceiver? Okay, there's one thing called sin. The context of this is false leaders, false teachers. So keep this in mind. That silence and that rebuke is because these people have stepped up and said, we know how the church needs to run. We know what Christianity is, and this is what Christianity looks like. And Paul is saying, nope, they need to be silenced. They need to be rebuked. You and I will struggle with sin, but you don't have to worry about an army of men coming at you saying, oh, you need to sit down and be quiet. That's, That's not this. This is for those false teachers. So that's what the elder is really supposed to be. Not only do we know who he is, we know what he's supposed to do now. He's supposed to keep the church in order. All right, so that's that's what we're what is really going on. This is moving pretty quickly today. Number two, the identity of the false teachers in Titus. This is really important. Who are these false teachers? Because this is big enough deal that Paul from prison is writing to Titus about what he wants the church to look like, and it seems that there's a pattern in Scripture that. False teachers seem to keep creeping into the church. I like what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, wherever Christ sows the good seed, believers, Satan follows with counterfeit seed and false teachers. Right? Warren Wiersbe, uh, you spell his last name, W-I-E-R-S-B-E. I like him. He's got good theology, and it's really practical. I can understand what he's trying to say. Listen to that one more time, because there's a lot of truth here. Wherever Christ sows the good seed, right? So in the preaching, the good seed goes out. We see that. Wherever believers are gathered, that's good seed. Wherever Christ sows the good seed, Satan follows with counterfeit and false teachers. So there are false teachers in Crete. Well, why? Because 
God has believers, and we always say this is the gathering of the saints, so surely no evil can be here because we're all together. Have you lived in churches long to see what division can come up? To see how people can be so divided? Spiritual warfare is so prevalent in church buildings and in church congregations more so than we want to admit. We like to believe that whenever believers come together, there's unity and peace. No, the gathering of the saints is what Satan hates. And so he will bring division and he will try to tear it apart. And I say this with, with such just remorse, but he's one in many ways. There's reasons that we have a first Baptist and a second Baptist, and it's for unhealthy reasons. Sometimes it's for healthy reasons. First Baptist wanted to, to plant another church on the other side of town, and so they send out a healthy leader and healthy families, and they go plant to reach another one. But there's also unhealthy growth. Whenever churches have such division, the saints can't bear to be with one another, and so then they divide. And Chas and I have walked through that with a pastor, and it's, it's hard, and it's heartbreaking to see that pastor wear that. And, and we know that it happens in Fort Smith also. That's not healthy for, for the name of Christ. At the same time, listen to this, Christ has also used unhealthy church breaks to bring about healthy churches so that there are good places and healthy places where there's unity. We didn't plant our church. We didn't plant Cross Life because we've got it figured out. We planted because God called and said, go, and we go. And we just do church differently. So there's a difference there. Excuse me. Paul even says in the Corinthians that uh, it's not good when the church comes together for the Lord's Supper because he says there's divisions. And, and, and we've talked about that. But then he also has something in there. He says, but I also believe it in part because there have to be divisions so that those who are true and the saints are different than those who are unbelievers. In other words, what I'm trying to get at is, well, Ricky, we're all gathering as a church, so we all have all things in common, just like Acts 2. There's not going to be any division, so Wearsby's probably off. Wherever, God, wherever Christ sows a good seed, Satan follows with counterfeit and false teachers, is absolutely wise because where the saints gather, Satan is going to be working against us. He is. He wants to divide. He wants to thwart the church, which is the, the visible representation of God's kingdom to the world. So he's absolutely going to be active. So as, get, as we come together, I don't want you looking side to side going, who's going to be the false teacher? Because I believe that whenever you preach God's word and you have godly leadership in place and you're praying for one another and you're doing what God has called you to do, that you, we can push back the enemy as he tries to divide. But absolutely, he will try to divide. He will plant counterfeit seeds and false teachers will come in. And just so you know, that it's not just in Titus, um, and we're still under the, who are these false teachers? Look at, and I want you to turn to these with me. Go to 2 Timothy. So you're going to go one book to your left. I just want you to see how prevalent this is. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Because then what happens is we're like, okay, false teachers are going to come in, but why doesn't the church just recognize them and push them out? Like, why are they prevalent? I've already told you, Satan's going to sow seeds. He's going to try to bring in false teachers. And I don't just, I'm not talking cross off. I'm talking the church in general, right? Turn on your TV, watch churches, listen to churches. You will find some very healthy. You'll find some where you're like, man, that's way off. Why? Why is that there? And it's no new thing. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. 
Paul writes to Timothy and he says, For the time will come when men will not tolerate sound doctrine, but with itching ears they will gather around themselves teachers to suit their own desires. So they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So that tells us that there will come a time whenever we won't like, as a, as a, as a humanity, as a creation, we won't like sound doctrine, which is biblical doctrine. What we're going to prefer is, and that makes me feel a little bit better. That makes me feel good, right? And so we're going to gather the teachers that we want, not the teachers we need. I can go to a doctor all day, and, and every week who will tell me, perfect picture of health, you know, you got some things wrong, you might go through some hard days, but, but, but overall, you're, you're going to be okay. And they can sugarcoat it. I personally would rather go to the doctor who tells me what's wrong so that I can actually address the issue and be healthy. And that's what it's trying to say in 2 Timothy is they're going to come, there's going to come a day whenever men aren't going to tolerate sound doctrine. They just want to hear what they need to hear and what they want to hear. Sorry, not what they need to hear, just what they want to hear. And they're going to turn away from the truth. So why do unhealthy um, pastors who are preaching a false doctrine, why do they have like mega churches surrounded, surrounding this false gospel? Well, it's because this is exactly what people want. Israel wanted a king, and God kept saying, you don't need a king, you have me. They said, oh, no, 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 we want a king. We're going to be just like everyone else. And he finally said, fine, here's your king. And it led to their ruin. So he will ultimately give to men what they desire, either himself or something else. Flip to your left, 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, I'm so sorry, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So he's telling them there that, look, there are going to be leaders who rise up and they are going to actually teach people that they should listen to demons and spirits. And why in the world would they do this? And they're teaching in churches. Right? They are leading people spiritually astray. Why? Because, because their consciences are seared. I cannot say that phrase. In other words, they, they have no conviction anymore. And they teach people to follow whatever they want to. Listen to Second Peter, um, verses 1-3. through three. If you want to find it, you're going to actually be flipping to your right now. Second Peter, 1-3. through three. Peter writes, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Man, there's a whole lot there. Listen to the key points. False prophets will arise from among the people. So where the saints gather, false prophets will arise. Again, not, don't look around and be like, it's got to be Brad. Brad's the tallest one in the room. He's got to be the pro false prophets. He's going to rise amongst us. It's saying amongst the church, amongst those who profess to be believers in the world, false prophets are going to come up, not from outside, but from within. I don't know if you've watched the Christian landscape, but we've seen this numerous times. 
But false prophets will rise up in the later times, which is what we're in. And they're going to come from among the people and they're going to introduce destructive heresies, which we see on our Christian bookshelves. And in doing this, they're going to deny the Master, which would be Jesus, who bought them. So they are professing a Christianity, and they're saying, I, I profess Him, but by the way, I'm not exactly going to teach everything He wants me to teach. I'm going to teach this instead. And this is absolutely going to destroy people. And they don't care. Why? Because verse 3 of 2 Peter chapter 2, in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. What is the motive of false teachers? It's greed, and I would say pride, because at the source of greed is pride. Pride's at the source of every sin. But it tells us, even in, even in uh, Titus, let me flip back here, that, um, oh goodness, where was it? They're, they're teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. False teachers have, have a, a track. They have, a, they have their own criteria. They rise up from within, they teach what is false, and they care about themselves. That's really the criteria. You hold up that criteria next to the biblical elder. Okay, listen to this real quick. Mark 7, 9. This is Jesus. So this is no longer Paul or Peter writing. Mark 7, 9. Jesus said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. Yikes. And then I want you to hear Acts 20, 28, and then we'll be back in Titus. Acts 20, verse 28. Paul says to him, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will rise up and distort the truth to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert and remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So what does Paul say in Acts 20, verse 28? He says, look, I'm about to go. He just professed the gospel. He's there with believers. He says, and as I go, there are going to be those who rise up from among your number, and they're going to be wolves, and they're going to lead you astray. So church, what I want you to know, that we know this, that if Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light, so can, those, so, so can um, his, his demons, for lack of a better word. Like, Satan, it says in Scripture, can disguise himself as a, a... Goodness, I'm really struggling there. Just as Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light, so can all of his minions. So false teachers can look godly. They can look like they are the very representation of God, but you need to be listening because that's how we know them. We will know them by their fruit. The danger of false teachers, Titus teaches us, is in their nearness... Because they are so near to us, they come up from within us and we're endeared to them and we love them and we get to know them. And we don't want to question someone who has a platform that it looks like God has built. We're not questioning God, we're questioning the motives of them and what they profess. Emily Dickinson was a poet, so I have a master's in English. The way that works is to get a master's, you have to memorize, we had to read 30 to 40 different authors and all their different works. And so there were about 75 different works. My master's test was, <clears throat> excuse me, was to be able to look at a quote and then to know who said it, when they said it, why they said it, and explain what they said in the context. And so one of those poets that I had to read, uh, it was actually pretty crazy the kind of recall that God gave me. I was able to look at it, and you learn tricks. Like Emily Dickinson, for example, always uses dashes. So I knew that if I saw a poem 
that had dashes in it, it was most likely going to be Emily Dickinson. But I just had a, a crazy good recall. God was able to make me remember those things. Emily Dickinson uses dashes, but she also had some really clever ways of saying things. She wrote this one poem, and the, the title of it is Tell All the Truth, But Tell It Slant. And it's a really short poem. But what she's saying is tell all the truth, just not directly. Like, give me everything, just not directly, because I can't bear it. So tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Make it a little bit more gracious, but get it to me somehow. False teachers aren't telling the truth, but telling it slant. They're not telling all their truth, but they're trying to give it to you directly. So they're not giving the full truth. They're giving you a slanted bit of information, but they're throwing it directly at you. So these false teachers are there, and they are, who are they? They're the Cretans. I love the Cretans, um, only in this context, because one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons, and this testimony is true. Like Paul doesn't even mince words. I say I love the Cretans. I love the description of the Cretans. That's their reputation. They are lazy, evil, and liars, and they are leading the church. Uh, whenever Paul says that one of their prophets even said, he's actually quoting, and I want to make sure I say this guy's name right, um, Epimenides. So Epimenides was a philosopher at the time. He was a Cretan, and he said about his own people, he's like, look, they're lazy, they're liars, they're gluttons, which means that they just like to eat all the time, and this is their reputation. So Paul's not judging them. He's letting one of their own judge them, and then he goes and he goes, but that's true. The testimony's true. So Paul kind of confirms all of that. I mean, wow. Like, that's who they are. You know, reputation matters. And I, I know I've covered that before, but these are the ones who have said, oh no, we know what needs to be taught in the church. Let us do that. So in their wisdom, in man's wisdom, this is who wants to lead the church. And this, this is who the pro false prophets are. So y'all, yeah, I'm just going to say, please be careful. Um, verse 16 tells us what we need to know about false prophets. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. Right? They profess to know God, they deny Him by their works. And here's what, here's what we know. That means that they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Can you imagine a preacher saying that today? Like calling out a false teacher? I've seen it. Some of you have seen it. Um, Shailen even has a song called False Prophets, and he's rapping through all the false prophets of today. But if we say that someone's a false prophet, then we're seen as intolerant, uh, hypocritical, when really we're just saying, that's not the gospel. So y'all, anything short of the full gospel is a false gospel is what you need to know. Anything that is not exalting Christ and that doesn't keep Christ exalted in the fullness of who he is, is a counter Christ. Okay, so I'm not going to lie. This is one of those things that, that I could keep going on and on about, and we could keep diving in, but I think that the core of the truth is this. According to Titus and what we have here in the text, God has established that there be godly elders, godly leaders over the church to guard the doctrine of the church, but he's also warning Titus and those elders and us today that we need to be very mindful that false teachers will rise up. And if we're sitting here today, then the question might become, you know, but what about us? Like right now, what do we need to know? Like what do we care about that? Because 
what they were teaching in verse 11, we're probably not going to teach. Um, they're, uh, where to go? They're upsetting the whole family um, by teaching for shameful gain. Um, they're teaching people to devote themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of the people. Um, so really, that comes down to they're teaching two things. Jewish nationalism. That's what it comes to, Jewish myths. In other words, you're a Jew, you need to know everything about being a Jew. By being a Jew, that's what makes you a Christian. So you're not like, we're not going to teach that, so we're probably okay, Ricky. And legalism. They're teaching the law. They're teaching circumcision. They're part of the circumcision party. And so they're going all the way back to the Old Testament. They're like, okay, so in other words, church, what it needs to look like is you need to be a Jew, you need to follow the law. This is what it means to follow God. So if you and I are thinking logically, we're going, yeah, but... Ricky, why does that even matter? Because you're not going to teach us, you know, Jewish nationalism and, and Jewish legalism. But, you know, what it really makes us think of is there are different gospels in our world. Right? Um, back there on the table, I have the American gospel, and it says free, free to keep. Take it with you because one day it's going to roll off of Netflix. One day you're not going to be able to find it streaming. Those are just free ones to have. And, and you need to go through there and you need to listen. But there are false gospels that are out there that it's not about... You're a sinner. Christ came for you. You've been saved. He died for your sins. Or, I'm sorry, you've been saved if you believe in Him. He died for your sins. He, was re- uh, he died and He was resurrected. Like, there's not always that gospel that's out there. Instead, what you hear is, you just need to try a little bit harder. Like, you've had a bad week. If you'll do these three things, try a little bit harder, you can overcome greed. That makes you a Christian. So it's a do more type of gospel. It's a make sure that you're in church more type of gospel. It's have you hit the mission field yet? Because that's the gospel. Like it's always a doing gospel if you really get down to it. And that's not the gospel. But that was legalism for them. It was you need to do these things. This nationalism, oh, we would never we would never say that, really? You gotta make sure you belong to this church. You need to make sure you subscribe to these doctrines that, that we say are absolutely right. You need to check the doctrines of any church. Check our doctrine. Make sure it aligns with the Bible. But, but there is a sort of nationalism that there will, be a, there will be a president that's the savior. There will be a political party that saves us from everything. And so we kind of fall into this nationalism that because we're in America, because we're Arkansans, because we live in the Bible Belt, we're saved. We preach the same things that uh, we're tempted to preach the same things that the false teachers in Titus were teaching. It just looks a little bit different now kind of like watching the the ninja turtles nowadays they're still the ninja turtles they just look different they've put on a different kind of look false teachers satan is still preaching the same thing from empty pulpits and professing that these are truths when in fact they're lies it just looks a little bit different we better be careful i could keep going on and on i've told you but i'm just gonna i'm gonna pull it all into this that there are other verses about biblical elders and what they should do, and I'll just send those to you. We should be so thankful that we have such a gracious God who did not just come and send a son who would die and never never interact with us, but He sent a son who died and who is seated on the throne, and then He gave us His Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit in us is the one that gives us that conviction that says, is this true or is this not? And that Holy Spirit wants us to grow in holiness, and He's leading us home, and the shepherd is with us, guiding us, protecting us as much as, he, as much as we will allow Him. Sometimes we step out from His guidance and His protection. But God in His good grace and love has said, this is how you can walk closer to Me. Pull around yourself godly leaders who will shepherd the flock and guard you. 
And as you do that, then we get to Titus chapter 2, and we see that under that godly biblical leadership, then the community of the church is safe to grow. And we see that one generation pours into another generation. So Titus is showing us again and again God's goodness and grace by his gospel, that he would, that he would establish a church that he would lead, protect, and guide because the church is his bride and he cares. So what are we going to do as we sing? Lord, thank you. Thank you that you gave us your word, right? That it, it washes us, that it teaches us, that you didn't leave us alone to figure out what this all looks like. Man, God, you are good. And you are gracious and kind. That's the kind of stuff I'm going to be praying. But I'm also going to pray this. Lord, make me aware of false teaching when I hear it. And give me the boldness to stand against it. Y'all pray with me. Lord, you, uh, you are good. And we can read Titus and we can read about false teachers and we can get angry and upset and we can be ready to fight. But Lord, you've already fought the darkness and you've defeated it. All the darkness right now is in death throes, just trying to steal the joy of Christians, trying to steal the, the, the security that we have in you. So Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you have given us. A wonderful, complete gospel that says that Christ is enough and that our faith in you is enough and that you did this by your own grace and mercy. Lord, thank you for us being able to gather today. And, uh, and Lord, I, I, I hear it in my own speech, Lord, for anything that was confusing or didn't come out right or that I jumbled over, Lord, may your truth at the end of the day remain for your glory because you are worthy. Amen.